This is the Leaders Who Learn podcast, produced by Claremont Lincoln University. This podcast highlights the dimensions of leadership urgently needed today, the collaboration necessary for leading well, and the ways to tap the leader within each of us. Interviews showcase ethical and humble leaders who listen, learn, and build a legacy of gratitude, service, and transparency in their businesses and communities. Our hosts, Dr. Joanna Bauer and Dr. Lynn Pretty get into the specifics with each guest, and we ask questions that need to be answered about ethical leadership and leading in today's society. Now, let's hear from our hosts. So Phil Valco from WashU in St. Louis, I'm, I'm so glad you stayed on for me to delve just into a couple ideas. Um, but before we start, tell me, uh, WashU was just recognized for a new lead designation. Explain that. That's right. So for a number of years, the university has committed, been very committed to green buildings. And we have a, a lead silver standard. Any new construction over a certain size has to meet at least lead silver well, we, we recently completed a major um, project. It's actually a whole district development. And just as of this week, we've received five nearly simultaneous LEED Platinum certifications. So one Platinum certification is, is not necessarily rare, but it takes an awful lot of work to do. And it's definitely cause for celebration. To get five at once is a really big deal. So we are thrilled. We've had so many partners um, uh, within the architectural trades, engineering, um, our partners on campus that have made it possible. But we're, we're really celebrating this week based on that success. I, I think that's stunning. I have not heard of, I've not heard of five before. So, so my next question really kind of delves into what that must have taken in, in your LinkedIn page and in the strategic plan on WashU at St. Louis's page, the plan to get to the sustainability levels you want is not a three or a five or even a 10 year plan that some presidents and provosts like myself often look at. It's, it's actually decades, it's multi-decade. How do you sustain the presence and perseverance of leadership to achieve those goals? Particularly when presidents and provosts tend to turn over quite a bit. It's a great question and it's one that we think about quite a bit. Um, part of our strategy has been to to place people at the center of the change. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's the seven plus billion of us that have gotten us to where we are today. And it's, it's going to be a subset of, of the seven billion that help address climate change and a range of other challenges. So we've really tried to build a lot of capacity, not only within the, the university's staff team um, uh, at various levels, but also programs that we, that we believe will be very sticky with students, you know, that they'll They'll help uh, not only the student body today, but the student body in five years continue to engage with uh, sustainability and climate topics and also expand in their knowledge and their engagement with it. So a large part of our strategy has been thinking about how do we build capacity today and into the, into the future to carry that change forward. So place people at the center of the change. How, what percentage of everyday staff at WashU are aware of the work on sustainability? Would you guess? I would guess it's um, I would guess it's fairly high, although I would guess that um, that individual you know that there's that there's a very high level of uh, variability in terms of people's awareness and engagement. 
So we have some programs like a green office program and a green labs program that are specifically designed to uh, help us identify and then empower our champions. Folks that don't have sustainability anywhere in their job description, but it's something that they personally care deeply about. So we've built a whole infrastructure of program that is intended to help put wind in their sails, basically align them with our, uh, our objectives and then recognize them for their accomplishments, um, which they might not be recognized by a supervisor because it just isn't part of what their, what their, their work is. That is, you know, that is, that is really cool. I mean, that's really smart. You are actually, um, the entire university owns the change. People are at the center of the change, as you say. So talk to me, our students are not going at Claremont Lincoln University won't likely go to WashU. They may come to a summit or, or seek out your resources and we'll make sure they know about them. But I imagine that the other types of sustainability leaders that we need are, are true persuasive leaders. They have to be able to create the social facilitation to convince people to be in the center. How, how do you do that? What's needed to do that? I think that that is one of, one of the most critical areas where we need to be focusing um, because you're right. Uh, um, it, it does take a lot to, to change anything really. You know, you think about in our own lives, if we try to change a habit, even one that we're aware of that, that we want to change, it can be really tough. Um, and then when we think about trying to get other people to change habits that they may not be aware are, are challenging, it's much, much harder. So um, we, I, I believe that organizational strategy and kind of social psychology needs to be embedded in any effective sustainability program where there's a clear vision of how we get from A to B and, and there's a clear vision of how we can get our colleagues and our partners from where they are to where we ultimately need them to be. Um, so I, I give a lecture uh, in a couple of classes called Change Ain't Easy and it really tries to delve into some of the the ways to think about it. Um, there's great, um, great change theories, one of which is basically um, borrowed a, a bit from the idea of tobacco cessation. You know, if you want to get your, your father to quit smoking or your, your aunt to quit smoking, what are the changes or the stages of readiness that they go through before they actually start to initiate a change? Beginning with uh, no awareness, then denial, um, mm -hmm. vague awareness, and moving up the spectrum to being more ready. So I talk to our students and we, we as a staff team think about where are our partners on that readiness scale and based on where they are, what's it gonna, what, what will it take them to get them to the next spot on the scale? Um, so that our strategies are actually stay, uh, tailored towards the individuals that are really critical to, to getting the work accomplished. Yeah, it was, um, I, I have to tell you, I, I think that's smart. I, you know, because it's always fine to talk sustainability and being environmentally friendly for everyone else, but COVID comes along and suddenly we're all back to plastic bags in the grocery store again. And, and, I, and I think about how long it's taken to get uh, the rural Midwest to adopt, you know, cloth bags and reusable bags. I, I, the habits, the habits take a long time to break and they take a long time to create. Yeah, I'm gonna they sure. Yeah, yeah, they sure do. And and something that I think we've also tried to kind of embed in our strategy too is to not be not to be sustainability purists. Mm. 
that, you know, if we're really hardcore about things, we'll turn a lot of folks off. But if we can build a big tent initiative and we can get people to be really excited and engaged, that we'll just attract more people um, to adopt the, the behaviors or the practices that we think are ultimately going to be the, the lower impact practices to advance human health and environmental well-being. I think it's great. I'm going to shift gears on you, you uh, and I'm going to shift you into a tough territory that's near and dear to our students' hearts at Claremont Lincoln. Um, you say in, um, in a quote that you love working collaboratively with people to solve tough problems and that your passion and work is to improve the health and well-being of people and the natural systems we rely on. And everything you do in your whole work and everything speaks to that. But what will it take to begin to address what is apparent where WashU sits in St. Louis and in many, many cities to make a dent in the environmental justice, in the disparity of green space and the disparity of just access to, to resilient and sustainable life? It is going to take a great, great deal. Um, we, I'm happy that you, you sort of centered us in St. Louis because um, our, our place-based reality is a reality of just huge disparity based on race. Uh, we have faculty that have studied um, the difference in health outcomes of, of people that um, come from different racial backgrounds as well as different zip codes. And it's incredibly stark. There's um, uh, life expectancy differences that are, I believe, greater than 20 years based on race and geography in our region. Um, so it's going to take a lot of concerted effort. We, how we've tried to build that into our strategy to date and also moving forward includes a number of things. So we have a, a strong student-based program, and we've tried to be really intentional about um, building the diversity of our own student team, um, as well as bridging and partnering with other entities on campus <clears throat> that have traditionally underrepresented populations so that we can create more of a pipeline of leaders in this space. Um, we also have a number of partnerships in the St. Louis region that are seeking to advance um, a range of different things, but often carbon reduction is, is a critical part of that. So energy efficiency and renewable energy. And we need to get really specific um, in outlining what it is that we seek to achieve because if we get too hung up on, on the disparities and the injustice um, that exists, and we don't get down to the, the tactics, we won't, be, we won't make the progress mm. that we need to make. That's a really good point, yeah. So some of the things that we're, we're thinking more and more about these days are workforce development. Um, what role can our institution play in developing a workforce? And it's a, you know, a broad, uh, there's a, it's a very broad workforce as we've discussed in the past. There's a lot of um, white collar jobs, there's a lot of uh, labor-based jobs, and there's a lot of jobs of other types within the growing sustainability and green, green job space. So, you know, question to our institution is, how can we do more in that space? How, how can we prepare folks um, to get into the workforce, particularly from underrepresented backgrounds? Um, there's also a lot of opportunity to think about how we increase access to the benefits like parks, um, green space. I think a lot about energy and carbon. So how do we, how do we provide um, better access to energy efficiency and renewable energy to low-income populations? Really, really great programs uh, nationally, and we're starting to look at how we can um, learn from those and bring some of those to St. Louis. And then finally, one of the big, big opportunities, I believe, for any employer, any large employer like a university or a business or a local government, 
is having very strong um, minority and women business um, enterprise requirements. So MBE, WBE requirements for their own contracting because that real investment in, in companies that are owned by women and minorities and that employ women and my, minorities creates generational wealth. Um, and I, I actually think that that's one of the areas where our institutions, um, it can be easy to forget about, but we steward so many dollars on an annual basis that are going into the local economy. And if we can be thoughtful and, and uh, intentional about investing some of those to really build capacity uh, with, with um, minority and women-owned businesses, it, it truly could be transformational. You, sh you shifted my thinking about that. I'm going to think about that some more as, a, as opposed to trying to correct environmental justice, to trying to find avenues for building resilience, um, actual leadership and other positions working and, and, and finding ways through the economy to make that difference versus just slapping a Band-Aid or making a shift here or there. I want, I'm going to think about Think about that more. I can always count on a higher education person to make me think. And so um, it also sounds like a thread through everything you do. And I am looking as well, I'll be very clear about my bias, that higher education needs to take on some of the toughest societal problems. And, and I see WashU is planning toward a climate summit. So tell us in closing what that climate summit is, who comes and why it's critical. It's actually a great segue, um, um, environmental justice is a great segue into talking about the summit. So we are, the summit is the Midwest Climate Summit and we have been very, very fortunate to be uh, planning this and co-hosting it with universities all throughout the Midwest, um, including many of the Big Ten schools, uh, Northwestern, Vanderbilt, um, in addition, um, <clears throat> and a range of other partners. So the summit will take place <clears throat> Excuse me. It will take place this fall as a uh, five virtual event series starting on October 2nd and running through November 20th. Um, it kicks off on November 2nd and our keynote is actually Robert Bullard, who's the, who is the father of environmental justice. Um, so oh, he'll, cool. he'll basically kick off a frame for the whole series, challenging us to think about how we make sure that um, a just transition is deeply woven into all of our climate work. And um, the event is free and open to anybody who would like to participate. We would love to have um, professionals interested in this space, working in this space, students, people across all sectors, and they can, people can find, find out more about it by visiting midwestclimatesummit.wustl.edu. And uh, the website just launched today and um, you can see more about all the phenomenal speakers that will be part of the event. And, and folks listening will post that so you can actually just cl click that and comment and, and it sounds like anybody can attend? Anybody can attend. Anybody? This it's, is great. It's a Midwest okay. Climate Summit but if we have folks calling in from India, China, Australia, we would welcome them. If they call in from California, we would welcome them. Um, again, it's going to take a a whole lot of people working together to, to solve the big issue of climate change and all the related challenges. Well, Phil, thank you so much. I, I have just really appreciated um, discovering, I've known WashU for years, but really discovering your role and the role uh, that WashU has played now for decades and getting you right back to the start, five platinum lead designated buildings.
You've been listening to the Leaders Who Learn podcast produced by Claremont Lincoln University. Please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. We really appreciate the support. You can check out our graduate degree programs at www.claremontlincoln.edu.